Hi, post-editing Roberto here. I'm letting you know that I just found out Jotland was in Denmark and that Rurik is Danish, supposedly. We kept saying he's Swedish and that he's from the Swedish area, but he's actually from the Danish areas. So please forgive us for this transgression and please don't send us off to the gulag. Enjoy the rest of the show. Cue music. I'm Roberto. And I'm Brendan, and together we are ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin. This week, number one, Rurik. Hey, we're on the first one! Hey, that's great. Fantastic. Only 95 to go. Only 95 more to go. Yeah, well, maybe. let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yep, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into Rurik itself, because when I was writing this episode, it actually ended up being a bit longer than I thought it was, you know. Not a paragraph, so... Okay, well, hold on a second. Is is Rurik a Slav or a Rus? You'll find out. That I, I'm asking you now! <laughs> You'll find out! I haven't written in! <laughs> oh, God. I thought... <laughs> what's the point? I asked questions... <sighs> Fine. <laughs> I, okay, he's a Rus. Okay, thank you. Was that so hard? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So, would you like to know what the name Rurik means? No. <laughs> well, you're going to find out anyways. All right, cool. So, the name Rurik comes from the Old Norse name Hroriker. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's a combination of the words Hroth and Riks. Ah, interesting. Well, before you get, I understand there's a character in Norse mythology named Hrothgar, I believe. And I believe he's a giant or a Jotnar. You know more than I do in this aspect. Yeah, which is why I'm excited for this one because it's like, oh... We're going to talk about Russian history. I know nothing. Oh, Norse mythology. Now we're now we're getting somewhere. Or Norse Norse history, which is filtered oftentimes through sagas, which are often more legend than history. But it's okay because it's all we have. Well, the name Hroth means fame, glory, or great, and Riks means king or ruler. So it literally means king, great king. Great King. Great King. So if we call him King Rurik, we're calling him King Great King. Yeah, you know? Hey. Yeah, great. it's like Dragon Ball. It's like Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan. Yeah, that, that, things, things got funky with all that. It's it's weird. But, you know, the more common version of the name Hrodikor or Rurik can actually be found in the name Roderick. Ah, okay. So Rurik became Roderick. Hmm, interesting. So Roderick originating from the Russian word or from Norse or... From Norse. From the Norse word. Okay, I see. Yeah. I didn't know that... Well, yeah, come to think of it, Roderick is a very Germanic... Not... Let's not say Germanic. Let's say non-Latin sounding name. Yeah, it's basically what it is. It is Germanic, because the Scandinavian stuff and all that's Germanic-ish, I guess. Uh, don't quote me on this one, guys. Okay. I, was, I wasn't sure if... I wasn't sure if the Norse language counted as Germanic. I think it does, but... If you know any better, let me know. I'm fairly sure it does. If... The language of the Angles counts as Germanic, then I'm pretty sure it should. Yeah. Well, anyways, Brendan, how good is your imagination? Uh, imagination? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I mostly write nonfiction, so I okay. can't say I employ it all that much. Okay, can, can, you, can you bring it out a bit for this one time? So, okay. Okay. All right, I'll imagine. Okay, so cl now close your eyes. All right, I'm closing. And since you recently saw the Northmen, I need you to imagine a Viking longboat. Okay, I see you're liking Vonboat, longboat. Now, imagine that there are three big Vikings on it. Okay, I see three big Vikings in my mind's eye. And they're sailing towards a shore, which is off in the distance. Yes, all right, pretty good so far. All right, that's pretty much it. Yep, just keep that image in your mind. Okay. All right, now that we know what Rurik's name means, we need to talk about his people, the Rus. So, we mentioned the Slavs in the previous episode, but since Rurik is the one who brings the Rus over, it makes sense to use his episode to talk about them. Okay. So, this is going to be like a quick run-through of, like, Rus history, because I went through what people considered to be the Rus. A lot of this doesn't relate to Rurik, but once we get to Rurik, it's going to be our history from after, after that period. Okay, fantastic. The Rus have appeared in history as far back as 838 AD and were known to the 
Eastern Roman Empire as the Ros, spelled R-H-O-S. They arrived on a mission to the Roman Emperor Theophilos and showcasing that they were, in fact, well organized enough to make a long-range embassy to the imperial court. So we don't know who the ruler is, but they came to Byzantium. So we don't know who the emperor of Byzantium was at the time. No, it's Theophilos. Okay, Theophilos. And they were arriving as ambassadors from we don't know where. From we don't know where. We just know that they're Rus. Or, you know, as they would say, Ross in Greek. Okay, interesting. I do know a bit about this because I took a class in... It was The class was called Viking Religion, although it didn't involve Vikings. It just involved the Norse. Viking is an occupation, not a people. I do understand that Norse explorers made it all the way to Constantinople and were it was a common thing for them to um, act as bodyguards for um, I suppose important people it was it was a mark of prestige because they would do that and they would get paid very well for it and then they would go back home and buy land start a family what have you yeah the Varangian guard who guarded the emperor okay Right, right. Now, now, take, now we're moving away from Constantinople, mm-hmm. and we're going all the way to France, because we also see the Rus appearing in a court of Louis the Pious. Ah, very nice. Interesting, very interesting. And it's quite possibly the same group that came to Theophilos. Oh, okay, interesting. All right, so hold on a second. The Rus, where, they're from Denmark, aren't they? Modern day Denmark. Mm, Swedenish. Okay, okay. So it wasn't too far off. I'm sure our Swedish and Danish listeners will be mad at me about this. Yeah, probably. But, you know, it's all in good fun. Yeah. So the reason why this Rus embassy came to Louis the Pious was because they wanted his assistance in returning back to their homeland. Hmm. Why were... Why? They're Vikings. They can, they can sail wherever. What was the big deal? So, think about it. What is closer to, like, Sweden... France or Byzantium? I'm going to say Byzantium. Kind of. Um, yeah, because they could take the river right up into, you know, the Swedish, like the Scandinavian territory. Yeah. Well, no, I was joking. Of course it's France. Yeah. I need to pull up my map. Uh, actually, France is closer. Yeah, France is closer. God, yeah, this Okay, even I'm not even looking at a map. I can tell you that it's France is closer. I've played too many games. I, I can't tell anymore. Oh, my God. So France is closer. Um, and basically, they introduced themselves as the Rus, and that they were under the purview of some sort of Kagan. What is a Kagan? A Kagan is basically like a tribal, like leader. So if you have, do you know, about, have you heard about the Khazars? Yeah, the Khazars. Yeah, so they're a Kaganate. So their ruler is the Kagan. Okay. So, upon further investigation by Louis the Pious, it was revealed that these people were part of the Swedes, or the Northmen, as the Franks would call them which could also be the Danes. Louis detained this small mission for further questioning because he thought that they were spies. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine why. It's not like, you know, they come down and invade France every once in a while. Yeah, it's not like they're the main thing they're known for outside of their homeland is invasions and raids. Yeah. Well, we're now we're going to go up to Sweden because let's say Louis the Pious let go of this embassy and let them return. We don't know. Now, this region of Sweden where they're supposedly from faces the Åland Islands and is known in the medieval Swedish law codes as Rodhen or Rods, while the Baltic Finns tended to call these people the Rodsi. Okay. Since the Slavs were geographically closer to the Baltic Finns, the word Rodsi turned into Rus. Yes. So these Rodsi were known as traders and they traveled around in small groups. And the Baltic Sea offered a great way to, to facilitate travel and exchange. And it, it would be an overarching symbol of authority if they had someone to encourage order in the area, right? In the area of the Baltics. Of the yeah. Baltic Sea. Stability is normally good for the economy. It usually is. And then we see around the year 871 a letter from Byzantium that terms the ruler of the Rus as the Kagan of the Northmen. That is a really cool sounding name. I know, isn't it? Um, so this letter was written by a Byzantine religious mission headed to Rurikova Gorodice, or, you know, Rurik's town, which is where the Kagan of the Rus resided. So who do you think this Kagan might be? This Kagan. 
Uh, I'm going to guess it's Rurik. Probably. We don't know. Um, no name is recorded. We just know that the place is called Rurikova Gorodisha, which is Rurik's, like, small town. Or Rurik's town, city, whatever. Translating Russian is a bit difficult sometimes. This mission was supposedly requested by the Rus after they had sent a fleet to Constantinople, looted the suburbs of the city, and ran into a wild storm on their return trip home. Mm -hmm. So this raid had some semblance of Rus leadership involved, and due to its ability to come in and strike quickly and then leave. Naturally, the mission had the purpose of converting the ruler and nobles of the area to Christianity. Okay, go on. And that's all the stuff we know about the Rus that we know doesn't directly apply to Rurik. Sorry, run that by me again. Okay, so Rurik, we don't know if this ruler was actually Rurik, but he probably was. And now we're saying what? We don't know if it applies to Rurik because we don't know if this ruler was Rurik or not. We don't know. Okay, so this guy, so we're not even talking about Rurik yet. We're just talking about a guy who may have been him. Who may have been him. You know, I think that that's quite of a broad... It's quite of a broad net to cast there, saying, oh, well, it could have been this guy. Well, it could have been Santa Claus, too. <laughs> well, Santa Claus was dead at that point. That's true. Santa Claus died in, uh, I don't know, what year is this are we talking about? What time period are we talking here? The 800s currently. Okay, 800s. Yeah, well, so clearly Santa Claus died in the 700s, so not possible. Well, yeah, I mean, we can look it up so now. Hold on. St. Nicholas. Blah, 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 blah. What are you saying? Okay, so you're saying that somehow saints are not capable of... Okay, he granted and died in 343. Okay, you're saying just saints can't deliver presents? You're saying saints don't do that? Oh, unbelievable. It's <laughs> I'm the orthodox person here. Come down. <laughs> Unchristian. Come on, man. <laughs> Anyways, so what does apply to Rurik? What does apply to Rurik? I, I know you want to know. <laughs> I'm guessing being the king of the Rus... Okay, so want to have want to have a bit of fun regarding um, Rurik's origin story? Yeah, sure. Why not? Are we are we just going into like the medieval sagas here that are completely legendary? Even better. So Rurik has not one, not two, but three origin stories. Oh, excellent. Well, whichever one is the coolest, that's going to be the one we're going to say is historically accurate. <laughs> basically um so two of them are very similar save for some very minute details and we'll go into more detail about all three of them of course because we need to pick and choose which one okay so do you want the shortest ones first or do you want the longer ones first let's you know let's let's go with the longer one let's get that one out of way out of the way great because that was the first one i had written down very go. why'd you even ask because i thought it'd be nice to ask you if you you know give you an option yeah, but you weren't even going to give me any. Just I, I actually was going to go with the one you picked. <laughs> just read it. Just read it. Okay, okay. So, this origin is by far the most discussed one amongst academics, with many okay. just outright not thinking it actually <sighs> happened. <sighs> boring, boring. <laughs> if it's cool, it happened. And some select few holding on to it for dear life. So I'm including it, not because I agree with it, but because I want you to select your favorite from the three, okay? All right. Usually, most people think that Rurik is a legend and not real at all. No, he's real. You know, as the way many people need to attribute some sort of tough icon to solidify their rule when things are shaky. Ah, uh, okay. So, it's like, what's the term? What's an example from history? All right, well, it's common in really, really... The, the one thing I can compare it to, it's common in all types of monarchical societies where the monarch is attributed some kind of divine attribute. So, I believe Julius Caesar claimed descent from Aphrodite. And, of course, pharaohs were basically living gods and plenty of roman emperors also proclaim themselves to be living gods or were deified after their death and uh, what was the other th example i was gonna say oh wait, okay so you basically this is this is the russian equivalent of Uranus and remus historical characters which are probably legendary for the most part you'll find out <laughs> okay well if there's any sucking on wolf titties then be sure to tell me <laughs> no <laughs> all right there's none so yeah. oh, boring i know i know so according to the historian friedrich kruse in 1836 mm -hmm. rurik can be identified with the figure rorik of doristad okay where is doristad it's somewhere in the netherlands doristad was an evil early medieval emporium located in the south end east of the province of utrecht in the netherlands all right it's close to the modern day town of, oh my lord, we, we by Durstidi. 
a it, it's um, Dutch. You know, we don't have a Dutch. Yeah, it's here. it's Dutch. All right, there's a lot of languages that are going to have to be covering here. I am good with Spanish and probably not much else. I'm really good with Spanish and Russian. Yes, I took some Arabic and I took some uh, took one class of Quechua, neither of which will probably ever be relevant here. Um, except, well, I, there is Arabic contact with Torus. I know that much. Even I believe his name was Ibn Lahad. We'll get there at some point. Okay, Quechua will definitely not come up because it is a South American indigenous language. No, I'm fairly certain Quechua people will not have any contact, historical contact. So we're getting pretty far ahead of ourselves and not staying on things. So, as I said, Rurik can be identified with the figure Rurik of Dorestad, which is in the Netherlands. So, in 1929, an argument was then put forward by the Russian historian slash metallurgist Nikolai Timofeyevich Belyaev that there were actual sources to confirm Kruzi's statement. Now, we don't know if this is true, but it also gives us a more complete look at Rurik's life, if it is. So we're going in on that. Okay. We're going to start with Rurik's father. So Rurik's unnamed father hailed from the clan of Skjoldung and was ousted from Jutland. Since he needed a new person to work with, he decided to pledge his allegiance to Charlemagne and, as a reward, received Friesland as part of his territory. He settled down with an unnamed wife, had a few children, with Rurik being born around 800. Hmm. Rurik faced a very turbulent childhood. His family was constantly at war with the usurping rulers of Jutland, and this must have been very stressful for a child. In 826, Rurik's elder brother, Harald, started working for Emperor Louis the Pious and was baptized to show his seriousness to the Frankish Emperor. Rurik may have been baptized to help aid Harald's claim of allegiance, but... I honestly laugh at the statement since he was a follower of Asatru later in life. Asatru being like the Norse religion. Right. I'm not sure if that's the historical name. I'm most familiar with the word Asatru in reference to the like modern neo-pagan movement. I'm not, is, is that like a proper term for the historical religious practice? It's in Crusader Kings. <sighs> All right. <laughs> well... The Swedish religion, the, the Swedish polytheistic religion. There we go. In layman's terms, would be would be Norse paganism, but pagan is kind of a biased word to use. The Norse mm-hmm. polytheistic religion, which I'm going to call Asatru, just for the sake of I wrote Asatru down multiple times. All right. Well, you better hope that that's actually the word for it. I looked it up. All right. Well, I'm going to look it up right now. Right now, Asatru. Seven years later. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's too much research. Forget it. Harold's conversion did bring serious changes for the family. He received the district of Rutheringen in Friesland. Of course, this came with quite a few responsibilities. They had to protect their lands consistently from attacks from the king of Denmark. Then, the unthinkable happened. Much to Rurik's surprise, Harold passed away and gave all his land to Rurik. What, he was the younger son? Or was the firstborn son? Rurik is the younger son. Okay, so we're just violating primogeniture here. Well, Harold passed away. Harold didn't have any kids. Oh, it was his older brother. Okay. His older brother, yeah. So we don't know if Harold had kids, but Rurik got it after Harold passed. This victory was short-lived, though, as Emperor Louis then passed away, and with the new emperor, or the new Frankish kings, Lothair's control of Friesland from the Treaty of Verdun, Rurik was ousted from his fief. Hmm. Unfortunate. But, you know, Rurik did not just sit around and mope, though. He was a Varangian, a Rus! He spent the following few years as an adventurer and took part in different raids along the European continent and against the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. He was named Fel Christianitatis, or the Gaul of Christendom. Nice. Very cool name. It is. And then in the year 845, he took part in the raiding of north of France while sailing up the Elbe River and then, five years later, launched a fleet of 350 longships which went around and looted the coastal districts of England. He's indeed a Viking. Indeed, he was going a Viking. Oh, and just just to touch on, like, you know, conversion to Christianity, it was Harold forced to renounce all Germanic or pagan gods. We don't know. Okay, because it's not necessarily a contradiction to be a Christian and believe in the other traditional Norse gods, uh... Because they would have regarded Yahweh or Jehovah, whatever the word, for, as and Jesus Christ as simply another god in the pantheon. They were open to believing in multiple gods. They did not see the world the same as Christians did, where it's either 
You're either a Christian or a pagan. There's no in between. For them, that is not the case. Yeah, so we don't know too much more about Harold, and this is a origin story of Rurik, so... <laughs> or his religious beliefs. So we, let's not rule out him being both a Christian and a pagan. Um, and then, remembering that he once owned land in Friesland, Rurik returned to King Lothair and demanded that he be given his former territory back. How do you think that went? Uh, probably didn't go too well. Actually, King Lothair agreed with the condition that Rurik defend the coast of Europe from other Viking attacks. Yep, you can't beat him, join him. That checks out. Yep, so you could just feel how the poor heart man sank. No more easy pickings for him from the other Western European nations. So he had to turn his attention to the east and look towards the Baltic Sea. After all, he had heard that some city named Novgorod down the river from Lake Laraga had been raided by Danes in 852. Rurik gave up on his compromise with Lothair, and Friesland was out of his control. He turned to and was given Jutland in 854. Control of this territory would give him access to the Baltic Sea, and Rurik could more actively engage in the affairs of the people of the Baltic. The interesting thing that is, according to Belyaev, Rurik's supposed younger brothers, Sineus and Truvor, they may not actually be real, but instead are epithets attributed to Rurik instead. Ah, okay. So Sineus in Norse turns into Signoltor, which means victorious, and Truvor turns into Thruvar, meaning trustworthy. And then you, you'll see soon that there are tropes in medieval storytelling that has three brothers founding a city, which could be seen along with the founding of Kiev. So seeing it applied to Novgorod's aggrandizement makes sense. So it could be you could see why they have three brothers. But we're getting a bit too far ahead of ourselves now. Right. And this this is a part where it's like it's more legend than actual history because these tropes tend to crop up again and again in literature. Yep. Now, origin two. This one says that Rurik is actually from Estonia. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it's an interesting theory. So this one is my favorite because it kind of makes the Russians mad to be Estonian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In Estonian folklore, there is a tale of three peasant brothers who received a prophecy that they would be the rulers of foreign countries. These three brothers were called Rahurikuja, or Troublemaker, Sinius, or Blue Stake, and Truvar, or Loyal Man. These are all these Estonian versions of Rurik and his brothers, and were names probably given to them by their friend and actual Blue Snake. Interesting. Okay, I, li- I like this one so far. Blue snakes, yeah, I'm a talking blue snake. I'm, I'm more on board with this one so far. And then this one is from the Primary Chronicles, um, and it does not cover Rurik's life at all, but instead starts out with the people of the northern Russian area. Okay, interesting. So it's kind of like what we're doing. This is what we're doing, because it's a Primary Chronicles. This is the history we're technically following. The Primary Chronicles of what? Written by who? So the Russian Primary Chronicles is written by a few people. We're using the Laurentian Codex. It was technically written, it's also transcribed to the person named Nestor, who's a chronicler um, from, you know, around Kiev. Okay, so it could have been written by Lavrentis and it could have written by Nestor is what you're saying. So the Laurentian Codices is what it's called. So the Laurentian Codex was written by a Nijagorod monk named Laurentius. Okay, there we go. These, you know, it starts with the people of the northern Russian area. So the Chud, Slavs, the Marians, the Ves, and the Krivichians were all living in a lawless place. And think think of it as like Mad Max without all the chrome, and all the, but with all the killing. Okay, sounds good. And they were in a constant state of warfare. I mean, in Mad Max, they talk a lot about Valhalla, so that, that tracks. They kind of got together and were like, they were like, you know, we've, we have, this is enough. We want somebody who's not part of our clan to come in and keep us all in line to rule over us. And they even said to each other, let us seek a prince who may rule over us and judge us according to the law. Yeah, that's that's one thing. I'm always willingly seeking out people to rule over me. So this led them to seek out the Varingian Rus. So they came up to, you know, to the Rus lands and they were like, quote, Our land is great and rich, but there is no order in it. Come to rule and reign over us. Okay, so this seems like a very folk-ish way to say some sort of contingent from this land traveled forth and allied with a larger military power that they thought could help them gain control. Yep, that's basically what happened. 
The Rus were intrigued and selected amongst themselves three brothers, who then sailed across the Baltic Sea with their kinsfolk and all of the Rus and set up shop in the lands of these tribes. Okay. Okay, so remember the three men I told you about on that boat? Yes. So they arrived at shore, and out stepped Rurik and his two brothers, Sineus and Truvor. Okay. So Rurik took the town of Laraga for himself, while Sineus went to Bela Olzera and Truvor to Izborsk. Now we have the origin stories there, and which one was your favorite? Okay, so I like the blue snake. I... I also do like the first one a little bit because there's quite a lot of actual Viking going on. But the final one, I mean, it just sounds... I mean, it's very typical of mythology and folklore to tell a story that justifies one's own political and military power. But, you know, I'm going to go with the blue snake. I, I, I like the blue snake. Yeah, me too. I think that's my favorite one. But um, which one do you want to rank them by, origin story-wise? Rank them by origin story. The first one to me sounds the most historically plausible. Now, I did mention we don't know if this is actually Rurik or just some guy named Rorik who was doing all of this. So That is true. Um, well, it's, I mean, plausible. Maybe it's not plausible. It's more historically fleshed out. There's more corroborating evidence. But I suppose technically there is no way to know which of these three was true the fact that there are mythological legendary elements doesn't discount all of them by itself because everybody does this i don't know the first one just sounds more fleshed out to me uh there's seems like there's more history actually going on there so you want to use the first one then yeah let's go with the first one okay so now we're going to go with what we know about rurik being in power rurik's in ladoga he's setting up shop and we're going to continue the whole narrative on from this point. So we Origin 1 is what we're using to rank, but we like Origin 2 better. If we go with Belyaev's argument that his brothers never existed, Rurik set up other relatives or followers in this city as his vassals, and according to the historian Tatishev, Rurik put princes of Varangian or Slavic descent that were loyal to just him and made himself known as Grand Duke. Now... We're not calling him the Grand Duke because to us he is known as just the Prince of Novgorod. Rurik is the Prince of Novgorod. Rurik is just the, his title is the Prince of Novgorod. That is all we're calling okay. him. No Grand Duchy or Grand Princeton for him. Disaster struck two years after the brothers' arrival. Sineus and Truver passed away suddenly within the same year, and Rurik managed to inherit all of their land, increasing his holdings to control the whole area. Okay, that's a pretty good power ranking. So with this, his capital moved from Laraga to Novgorod to have a more centralized location just down the river from the lake. And while he was in Novgorod, he built a castle and told his vassals to do the same in their cities. So it's architecture stuff. This is sounding pretty good so far. Okay, yeah. Uh, I like castles. Castles are neat. We don't have any evidence of those staying there, though. Rurik's new subjects were quite excited to have a ruler. I'm sure they were. You know, who, who's always excited? Yeah. And they had thought that with a single ruler, they could organize and be much more effective in battle if they went south on campaign to gain more land. Now you see why they wanted a ruler. Yeah, I can see why. I mean, I'm not discounting that Rurik was potentially a charismatic leader. There's all, That's always like a primary motivator for getting uh, people to follow you. Yeah, but Rurik was starting to get a bit old, though. And he was much more interested in organizing his new land and had no plans of going south to fight. Okay, so th I'm, I'm going to take a point away from his battle prowess here. Sorry, that's boring. <laughs> well, sitting in his castle, which, of which we have no archaeological evidence of, Rurik was then approached by two men named Askold and Deer. Deer spelled D-I-R. Mm -hmm. Remember those names, because they're going to be returning quite soon. And they came up to him and asked for permission to go down to Constantinople with their kin. So Rurik was like, yeah, you know, here's my permission. You can leave Novgorod. It's okay. And they sailed down to the Dnieper River. It's interesting because the primary chronicle says that Askord and Deer were not part of Rurik's kin. So this could be interpreted that they were his subjects because they were probably not part of his original tribe or members of his retinue when he came to Novgorod. They're probably just Slavs who were like, yeah, we just want to go down south. We don't like it here anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I can't blame them. It's pretty cold up there. It is. The chroniclers say that Askold's goal may have been to raid Constantinople, 
but that's probably more of the chronicler's own opinion than actual fact. And Ascord's reasoning may have been to restore connections with the Cognate in the Azov area. So that's like near Crimea. Since the Donetsk Don Riverway was barred by the Khazar Cognate. This made the establishment of a new route of trade very important because they wanted basically to be able to move without having to pay taxes of another empire. That makes sense. During his time in Novgorod, Rurik sired a son with an unnamed woman. Of course. Because of course. Yeah. Who he then named Igor. Hmm. And he placed one of his close friends, Alieg, as his military commander. The Rurikid dynasty essentially started at this point. They're going to last for quite a while. However, things were not going well. Remember how I mentioned earlier that Rurik was getting kind of old? Yeah. Well, he started getting sick. Mm-hmm. And he called Alieg into his room. He looked at Alieg and said something along the lines of, Protect my son and ensure he rules once he is old enough. In the meantime, you're in charge of Novgorod. Ah, uh, let me guess. He didn't let his son rule. Alieg smiled and had a small twinkle in his eye, and Rurik passed away in bed. And crossed his fingers behind his back. You'll find out next week. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm calling it now. <laughs> well, it's time for ranking! Alright, okay, okay, okay. So, we're going off of the first story, which... You're going off the origin, origin one story with R- Rorik of Doristad. Okay, Rorik of Doristad. Well, let's do the first one. Spezialne Operatia. How well do they do in battle, lead in battle, or have others led in battle for them? If we're to believe that the Rurik is actually Rorik of Doristad, it basically means that he fought constantly against the Danes and raided mostly everybody especially in France, and also led a 350-boat raiding party against England. Okay, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, we'll have to say, the thing about Vikings is everyone's convinced that they were great warriors, and many were. But the thing about raiding is you hit people who are not going to fight back. So, in good faith, I cannot count raids for all that much. So it was basically all raids and wars we don't know he fought. So All raids, I mean, this is like, they, they were feared for certain, but because they attacked monks. And it's because monasteries and monks had all this treasure. Yeah, so how many points do you want to give him? Well, what is it out of? Ten. Okay, so he did raids, which are easy. We don't know anything about any of the wars he fought. However, he was appointed to defend against raids. So... At least people had faith that he was capable of that sort of thing, right? Yeah, and then people asked him to come to Novgorod, you know, to Novgorod. Right, so, you know, people asked him, he did some sort of military prowess. Defense, that counts for something. I'm I'm just going to give it a five, a middle of the road five. I was thinking more of a three. Yeah. Because we also don't know if if he's actually real. So, like, did he actually fight? And, you know, I, was, I give him one point for being a Viking. Look, if he wasn't real, we would just have not included him. True, okay, fine. We believe he's real. But I'm giving him one point for being a Viking, one point for raiding, and then one point... I'm giving him zero for raiding. Yeah, and then I'm giving him one point for being asked to protect Novgorod, basically. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I guess I would say I would give him two points and three points, respectively. Or would it two and a half points respectively for being asked on two separate occasions, being considered somebody who would be capable of defending an important territory? You know, with that aspect, I will go up to a four. Okay. So that gives him a nine in Spezialne Operatia. Okay. Next up we have Uspiech. How successful were they in running their nation? What cultural significance did they leave behind? Well, he founded the Rurikid dynasty, so that counts for a lot. That certainly does. But was it all that difficult to do? He was literally, people went, said, please rule us. And he said, okay, you didn't conquer anybody to my knowledge, right? Yeah, he didn't conquer anybody. Like, he didn't even go to war, even though they wanted to. But he did build a ton of castles, or asked him to. Right, he did build a ton of castles. I think if he didn't conquer anybody, however, I think this does count as a success, in my opinion. Of course, founding the Rurikin dynasty of... Of course, that's a massive success. Is this also out of 10? Yeah, they're all out of 10. Yeah, so founding the dynasty, I mean, th- to me, that counts, again, that counts at least for another five points. And then I would add points later. Well, I'm going to say, I'm going to add two again, because, again, people asked him and said, you seem like somebody who is militarily capable of ruling over us. And as far as I know, there were no great issues with managing things 
while he was alive. I cannot deduct points because I'm pretty sure his brother is going to stab him in the back on this one and just not give it to his son. It's not even his brother. It's just a friend. It's just a military commander. Just a friend. Just a military commander. Okay. So maybe he's too trusting or maybe in the end this guy was in fact a trustworthy. So... I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't even know yet. I can't, I would have to retroactively change my score, and I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed. We're keeping the scores as is. Okay, so I will just entirely scratch that all from, strike that all from the record. I'm going to give it a six. Five for founding the Rurikin Dynasty, and, well, no, I'll give it a seven. Five for founding the Rurikin Dynasty, I'll give him two points for being, consi- at least being considered a person who would have been militarily capable of defending a territory and managing. So I'm giving him a six, five for founding the Rurikin Dynasty, which because it's lasted for quite a while. One for basically being considered capable. He's he didn't leave much behind because if he and like oh I'm actually boosting it up to seven because he did. Also, we didn't even touch on cultural significance here. So he we know he built castles, which is why I'm giving him an extra one to give him a seven. So okay, but do we do we know of any Rurikian uh, literature, painting, art? Nope, none. Okay, there's what we know like like, like the artwork would go under Bojemoy, but he didn't leave any like cultural things behind. Hmm. Okay, well that's too bad. Unfortunately, I'm gonna have to give him a zero on that one. Well, it's out of ten, so it would have been five and five. Well, no points for that. I mean. Yeah, so we can't give him extra points for that, but it's still... But the records did say he did build castles. I, I, we can't judge the aesthetic beauty of these castles. Well, actually, maybe we can. No. They're, they're gone. Never mind. Whatever. That is a 14 for Uspiech. Okay. Next up, we have... Compromat. Blackmail. What dastardly deeds did they do behind closed doors, or outwardly do that they made others dislike them? So if I can start this one here, my first thoughts here is he was not a Christian. This is not saying this counts against him. However, it seems there's something of a case we could say that he may have outwardly converted to Christianity only to go back on it. So that dishonesty, that counts as a little bit of dastardliness. I I did want to say that you know, it's kind of surprising that, you know, his brothers ended up dying. You know, his four, bro- his three brothers died and he took their land each time. Ah, but interesting. Is it, poss- is it possible? Is it not? Because, you know, both brothers died within a two-year time span, months apart from each other. Because you remember, Harold died. What, what was the official reason? Disease? Nope, we don't, we know, we don't know. It's lost to, it's lost to the sources. Well, it's always a dangerous time to be in any kind of political power. It doesn't... They could have had a target on their backs. We just don't know if it was him. Clearly, I think he was clearly ambitious because he founded an entire dynasty. Or maybe he stumbled into it. I don't know. Did I mean, did he murder his brother? We have no evidence that we did. We, we, do, we have no evidence, but I, I'll give him one point for maybe the fact that he might have. Just maybe. It's a possible... Well, it's a possible... I can't assign points for a possibility that is unproven. I can, though. So... Or at least plausible. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll give it to him. So I'll give him a two. For one, for converting, you know, uh, being an outward Christian, but then maybe converting back to, you know, Norse paganism, and then and another one for maybe killing his brothers. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a zero on compromat. Alrighty, that is two for compromat. Bonjour, moi. Oh my God, how good do they look? We'll be using the picture that Roberto honestly thinks is the best and shows probably the closest to what they look like. Or the closest to contemporary. It depends on the situation. And I am sending you the picture. All right, let's take a look at this. I'm gonna go ahead. This will be on the website. And like, this is multiple people. Which one is Rurik? The one in the, in the middle. He's not in white. Oh, okay. I reckon. I actually recognize this one. Yeah. So he's the guy in the middle. I assume those are his brothers flanking him. Yep. Sinaeus and Truvor. Sinaeus is on the left. Truvor's on the right. Well, this is a painting. It looks to be very, very far from contemporary to the period. Do you know when this was painted? And by whom? It was painted by Victor Vasnetsov. Victor Vasnetsov. In what year was it painted? I'm going to say 18, 18, probably 50s is my guess. Uh, it can't be 1850s because Victor Vasnetsov was born in 1848. Okay, so it wasn't wasn't too far off though. No, it was 1800s. Um, so this one was painted in uh, before 1926. All right, before 1926. That I can work with that. All right, so we got a gentleman here. He has. Well, first off, he's dressed in full armor. He has a male shirt. 
He has a belt. He has a warhammer. Warhammers are pretty badass. I do like those. He has a sword by his side. He's got a pointed helmet, a mail hood. He's got a cape. That's pretty cool. A red cape. A red cape, indeed. Yeah, so it's pretty far away, but... He looks to be pretty average looking to me. He has a blonde beard. I- I'd say just judging by this, is there is there something closer, no more close up? Yep. Um, I will say, you know, we can judge based off of multiple pictures. You know, I, I'm not going to follow the hard rule of. So this is the one from the Rus- the Russian titularnik, which is basically like the titular thing. So this one is not. Oh, Lord. Yep. He's completely different there. Yeah. Well, first off, his beard is a completely different color here. It's black. It's not blonde. And then here's a stat. But I gotta say, I gotta say, I'm not sure which of these is the most historically accurate. Uh, to be perfectly honest, this second one, this guy's got drip. Like, look at this guy. He has a red cape, he still has the war hammer. But he's got feathers on his helmet. He is dripped out. Yeah. Uh, he's got a shield on his back. Handsome of face. No, he's, he's much uglier in here. But he has drip, I'll say that. Okay, this one, this last one is a statue. That's the one, that's the one in Novgorod. It looks to be like it's part of... I took that picture. Novgorod. Yeah, okay. So, okay. Oh, cool. Okay. So, he's got a CX here, CX. He has uh, a not a not a kite shield. It's got a point on the bottom and it's rounded. The rest of the body is rounded on the top and it has words on it. Lietasto. I'm pretty sure that's not historically accurate. I'm pretty sure that's just I'm pretty sure that's part of you. Okay. So, here 100 years. Okay. Here. This is statue is 100 years old. No, it's it was um it was made for the 1,000-year anniversary of Russia. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, so we got scale armor leggings, and he's got a male shirt. I don't know if that makes too much historical sense. He's got a cape once again, and he has he has a pointed helm. I should note, okay, in this, the first one, he has a pointed helm. In the second one, it's feathered and it's rounded. And this one, again, has a pointed helmet. Our helm. He is certainly much more handsome, much more noble looking. He has a very uh, square jaw, and then maybe his beard. I don't know. This is by far definitely the most handsome. So, tell you what, I'll look at these three depictions. First one, it's pretty average looking, so I'll give him a five. Second one, ugly as hell. I'm sorry, that's a one. Dear God. And this final one, I'm gonna give that bad boy... I'm gonna give that bad boy... Well, if I wanted to be a little more conservative, I'd give it an eight. But if I wanted to be a little more liberal with that, I'd give it a nine. So I'll just say forget it, give it a nine. So let's add those up. Five, one, five plus one is six plus... Yeah, okay. Six, six plus nine is 15. So let's divide that by three. It's a five. Pretty middle of the road. I'm gonna give him a five. Okay. I was going to give him the same number, just because, like, he's pretty middle of the road. Basically, it's your quintessential, this is what a Viking looks like kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, Viking standards of beauty, if you've ever heard of or read of the um, saga of Ego Skallagrimson. Ego Skallagrimson is, like, considered the quintessential Viking, but he's not a good-looking dude by any stretch of... But by the beauty standards of Viking. Well, his brother was, like, blonde, thin, lithe, beautiful. So, yeah, I mean, of these are historically accurate, I'm... I'm willing to bet that the second one here is more historically accurate because the artists and the other ones have quite a lot of incentive to romanticize him. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But the Warhammer, okay, I'm kind of, I want to take points off for this last one because he doesn't have a Warhammer. I'm a fan of Warhammers. He just has a boring CX here. Come come on. So going to go down to a four? Yeah, you know, take take it, well, 4.33. 4.33. Oh, sorry, 4.33. Sorry, 4.66. Make that a 4.66. You know, we, we are doing decimals here because of the length on the throne. So I would prefer if you did 4.33 because I would have made it like perfect. But anyways, <laughs> it's, your, it's your score. I'm going to keep him out of five. And then the last one is Vladichestva. How long were they on the throne? This one we cannot actually do be subjective at all. So out of 50.25 years, how long did Rurik rule? How, did, how, how long do you think he ruled? 20 years. Close, actually. So Rurik ruled from 862 to 879 for a total of 17 years. Okay. Which gives him a total of 6.77 points. Hmm, interesting. You know, if we're just doing it out of 10, you know, they they might get a little bit too close to call. Yeah, which is why we're doing decimals, too. Okay. So, Brendan. So this this gives Rurik a total of 41.43 points out of 100. Oh, Awesome. So, we can't judge it relative to others yet, but, I mean, it's not even above 50. It's not even above 50. Basically, his best score was 
was actually in success at 14. So because you know he founded a dynasty, which is unsurprising. You founded a dyna- the Rurikin dynasty. Rurikid. Okay. Now the important question, Brendan. Does Rurik get to party in the Kremlin, or does he get sent off to the Gulag? Kremlin. You gotta put him in the Kremlin. Really? I was gonna send him to the Gulag. You, you don't think the founder? You don't think the founder of the Rurikid dynasty? What do they think? I mean, does Peter? You're asking like in Pontifex. Does Peter go to heaven or does he go to purgatory? Come on. But like my my, my whole ordeal is, you know, is he interesting enough to talk about to people? Like, interesting. Okay, that is a fair question. Because, like, would you tell people, like, this is Rurik. Let's talk about Rurik. And then you give him three lines. Like, yep, Rurik was asked to rule. He was a Viking. Okay. To be fair, I think the first story we tell about his origins was pretty interesting. Okay, yeah, it was. It, I mean, but... But we also don't know... We, we also don't know if that's actually him. We did it for ranking purposes, though. But we don't know if it's actually him, which is my caveat. It's like, you know, is he interesting enough for this? Because, I mean, I'm also thinking of the bias because i know who's coming up next in the future so it's like i'm already prejudging but it's like but for me rurik was never interesting because he might not have been real i think the first i'm not even going to talk about whether or not he's real i think that's a moot point because we already decided he is real i mean you think what you want in my opinion it's a moot point so judging by how it's interesting it's definitely not the most famous the most famous for me the ones i know was ivan the terrible Stalin and Putin. That's who I have to weigh it against. Stalin, yes, way more interesting. Putin. Okay, but okay, but you're you're right. We're weighing him against himself right now. So like against himself. Well, I'm doing this anyway. Well, I'm but I I need to weigh it against what else I know. Like did he have an interesting life compared to other historical figures? I guess you could make an argument that no, he wasn't terribly interesting. I mean, if that's the metric, no. If it's if the metric is accomplishments, yes, starting the Rurikid dynasty, absolutely off to the Kremlin. The, the, the metric is, what do you feel about it? How do I feel? What you're asking me to judge is the total, cons- the net consequences of their very existence in history. Weighing that against the, just being an interesting person or an interesting, how, leading an interesting life. No, just overall, I, so you feel like he deserves to go to the Kremlin? I mean, it, again, it's depending on what you're asking me to weigh here. You're asking me co- total consequences for the entirety of history. No, just based off of what you heard about Rurik, does he deserve to go? No, I wouldn't say so. In terms of, if it's not that, then no. I would say he goes to Gulag. I agree with the Gulag. Because basically, okay, so just so we can get it straightened out ahead of time, and everyone's going to hear this conversation. Everything you heard about Rurik in this episode, basically you're looking at Rurik alone and you're making a judgment... You know, you're Stalin sitting at, at his desk, and you're, you know, you're looking at this person's resume. You know, does Rurik deserve to get to the Gulag or not? What would you say? I would say, yeah, Gulag. Off to the Gulag with him, then. There we go. Alrighty, and that is Rurik. We have gotten through our first Russian ruler. Goodness, it uh, it only took... Well, hold on, I think it took half an hour, I'm pretty sure. An hour, an hour and a half-ish? Yeah, an hour and a half-ish. We had, we had a lot of technical issues, so it might go... Might be more, might be less. Yeah, it might be more, who knows. So, yeah, so we, we got through Rurik. I'm, I'm sorry we didn't agree on the, the original thing, but, you know, I, I, feel pre- I feel pretty safe of setting him to the Gulag. Yeah, yeah, I think you can, you convinced me. I think he does belong in Gulag. Yeah, and just so you know, for future reference, if we, if we can't agree on anything, would you like to roll a dice? Yeah, yeah, roll a dice. Yeah, so if we can't agree, we'll let fate decide. Exactly. So next time, we're going to talk about Oleg. His military commander. Yeah, I thought so. And he has an epithet. Would you like to hear the epithet or would you like to wait? Can I guess? Yeah. Oleg the Betrayer. Nope. Oleg the Boneless. Nope, that's Ivar. But <laughs> would, you like, would you like me to tell you? I know it's Ivar the Boneless. Sure. What's what's his epithet? His name is Oleg the Seer. Ooh, okay. Actually, might that sounds really cool. I might be more on board with this guy. Yeah, and he has a lot more because he's technically known as the official start of the Rus- rulership. Hmm, interesting. Alright, so why is... Because, as I said, Rurik might not be real. Alright, fair enough. Yep, so, the, and that is Rurik's score. He is currently number one in our ranking. Wow, imagine that. Number Episode number one, he's number one. hey oh. I guess it is now time for the poem. Oh yes, okay. Poem time. The poem we will be reading today is Lot's Wife, or Lotova Jena, by Anna Akhmatova, and was written in 1924. 
Akhmatova was a famous poet during the last few days of the Russian Empire and throughout the Soviet Union when both her husband and son were imprisoned by the Soviet state. She'll be covered in a future Patreon episode once we're in the Soviet era. This is my favorite poem by Anna Akhmatova and Brendan actually chose this one out of four options that I sent him. I hope you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I actually like this one. Feel free to request Russian poems for us to read if you know any. Lotova Jena. Jena je Lotova oglianula pozadi evo istala solyanim stoplom. Kniga bitia. I pravjednik šol za poslanakam boga, a gromni i svjetli pa čornoj gorje. No gromka že nje gavarila trevoga. Nje pozna. Ti možeš je šol pasmatrijet. Na krasnije bašnji rodnova sa doma, na plošed, gdje pjela, na dvor, gdje prijala. Nak na pustije visokova doma, gdje milamo mužu djeti radila. Zgljanula i skovani smjertnoju bolju, glaza je jo bolče smotretnje mogli. Izdjelala tijela prozračnoju solju i bistrije nogi ke zemlje prirasli. To ženčinu etu oplakivat budet, no mjenče li im nica ana izutrat. Lišćer se majo nikakda ne zabudet, otavšuju žizni za jedinstveni zgljad. And the just man trailed God's shining agent over a black mountain in his giant track while a restless voice kept harrying his woman. It's not too late. You can still look back at the red towers of your native Sodom, the square where you once sang, the spinning shed, at the empty windows set in the tall house where sons and daughters blessed your marriage bed. A simple glance, a sudden dart of pain stitching her eyes before she made a sound. Her body flaked into transparent salt, her swift legs rooted to the ground. Who will grieve for this woman? Does she not seem too insignificant for our concern? Yet in my heart, I will never deny her, who suffered death because she chose to turn. Isn't that such a great poem? I love it. I actually do love it. I, I, this is my favorite one by Akhmatova. I read it for class and I was like, oh my god, I actually get goosebumps every time I read it. Yeah, I, 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 I like the idea of valorizing Lot's wife, who is t- typically regarded as a tragic figure in the uh, Old Testament. However, it's interesting because to me it recasts her as a, a woman who made a free choice, who exercised her free will. That's what makes it interesting to me. And Akhmatova is really good about that stuff. I can't wait till we like discuss her life later on in the future. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, is it is it cheating if I read her other stuff? Because I, I would like to read her other stuff. Nope, it's not. Awesome. You, you, you can read her poems. Sweet. You can read Russian literature. I won't stop you from that. Awesome. Just, just no history. All right, cool. Alrighty. So it's time to give thanks. So first off, I'd like to give thanks to Rex Factor for letting us... Not letting us use their format because it's a genre now. But thank you for creating the format. And, you know, once again, thanks to Pontifax and to Battle Royale for being the inspiration behind this. And Brendan already had his thanks. So, and thanks to all the listeners for, you know, for listening and supporting us. I hope you enjoyed our ranking of Rurik. And you can also vote in a poll on our website whether as to whether you agree with our decision or whether you would like to see him sent to the Kremlin to party. But as of this moment, we're not changing our score. So we just want to see what your opinion is. All right. And that's a dosvidanya from me. And don't forget, vlash prozdayet parazitov. You just want to tell them what that means now. It means power breeds parasites. All righty, guys. See you soon. Bye. Ba 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 ba